Odyssey celebrates Father's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. This is the Rusk Report, a program that takes an inside look at Western New York with news, features, and special guests. Now, here's your host, Brian Rusk. Welcome to the Rusk Report on the Fed 1520. I had the great pleasure of meeting the brother of our guest. I met Tony Sapola, a business leading businessman in Western New York and banker, and he told me of his gifted brother, Brigadier General, retired, Frank A. Sapola. And he is our guest today, and we're gonna talk about world affairs, international security, the stability of the United States and foreign affairs, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about his background. Brigadier General Frank A. Sapole assumed duties of the Deputy Commanding General of the United States Army, 88th Regional Support Command, on May 7, 2009, at Fort McCoy, Wisconsin, until his retirement in 2011. He previously served as Deputy <coughs> Commanding General, 88th Regional Readiness Command, Fort Snelling, Minnesota, and the 77th RRC Fort Toten, New York. Brigadier General Sapol is a native of Wilson, New York. He entered military service on July 5, 1972, as an enlisted soldier at Fort Polk, Louisiana. In June 77, he attended Officer Candidate School at the Empire State Military Academy and was commissioned as two LT lieutenant with the Corps of Engineers. We've had many generals on the show, including uh, General Singlaub, General Haig, and General Walters on this program. We're honored to have Brigadier General Frank Sapola. Let's talk about your career path from E1 to a general. Tell us all about it. Brigadier General Frank Sapola. Okay, uh, thank you, Brian. Um, like you said, I went to basic training in July of 1972 at Fort Polk, Louisiana. Then I went on to AIT, which is Advanced Individual Training, uh, at the 71 Hotel, which was my MOS, Military Occupational Specialty, which was a clerk typist for approximately three years. To be honest with you, most people wouldn't say this, but I really love basic training. Um, I always wanted to become a drill sergeant uh, because I wanted to get campaign, that campaign hat. I just love that drill sergeant hand so much. I wanted to become a drill sergeant. That was my career to become a drill sergeant. Well, I went to sign up to become a drill sergeant at battalion headquarters. When I, and while I was outside of battalion headquarters, this major came up to me and asked me, um, do you have a, a, a degree? And I said, yes, I have a college degree. And he says, well, you're going to officer's candidate school. I says, no, major, I'm here to sign up for drill sergeant school. He says, no you're going to officer's candidate school. So I'm off I went, I went off to officer's candidate school. 
Uh, I went to Officer's Canada School, and I moved up to the ranks to colonel. I was, while in the ranks, I was doing from second lieutenant to colonel. I was a company commander, a battalion commander, a brigade commander, brigade operations officer, chief of staff, assistant division commander, adjutant operations officer. I, was, I had many positions. And at that time, I completed my education to become a general. I had all my educational requirements to become a general. I don't know why, but I said to myself, I don't think you're going to make general because it was so competitive. Well, anyway, I was at Syracuse University uh, taking a security management course for the Army. I still remember the date. It was April 12, 2005, and my phone rang. And it was from area code 202, which was Washington, while I was on my way to breakfast. I picked up the phone and someone, and then uh, we were disconnected. So um, I said to myself, if it's that important, they'll call me back. Well, then they did, and it was the Pentagon to tell me that I was um, selected for promotion to Brigadier General. The first question on my mouth was, is this a joke? And she said to me, no, check the internet in about five minutes. So I did, and I was really shocked. Uh, that whole day, I skipped all my classes. My instructors uh, said, I, we don't blame you. This is your day, so go, go ahead, cut your classes. Um, I was a Brigadier General for approximately five years, and I had a total service to include active and reserve. It was 39 years and three months. Uh, and when I retired... I was made an honorary drill sergeant. And <laughs> I mean, given, that's what you wanted, uh, right? You know, drill sergeant hat yeah. by my command sergeant major. It was, it was a great day. And if I had the chance, I'd do it all over again. Wonderful story. And you finally got that drill sergeant cap. It only took you 39 years, right? Exactly. Exactly, Brian. Okay. Well, it, it takes a long time to become an overnight success. Okay. <laughs> um, let's now do a comparison uh, the image of the Army has changed a lot, and a lot of people criticize the Army. They're more interested in woke stuff than winning wars. And uh, the image has changed a lot. I think people had a much higher regard for our armed forces. A lot more mm -hmm. people wanted to become enlisted. They wanted to serve. Now there's a shortage of people joining the military. Let's talk about the Army 40 years ago, 1980s versus 2023. Brigadier General Frank A. Cipolla. Okay, um, the, the Army has changed in many ways. There's a lot of them, and I'll, I'll go through a few of them. Uh, it's started doing away with the draft. Um, although all the men at the age of 18 are still required to register for the selective service, uh, should there be a draft. Uh, but uh, there will not be a draft, in my opinion, because the draft is not cost-effective, so we did away with the draft. Uh, the role of the National, think of the role about the National Guard. Uh, during the Vietnam War, joining the National Guard uh, was a way to dodge the draft, and many people did that. I think it was President, I think it was President Johnson uh, was fully against calling the National Guard into action. But these days, Guard is a key part of our military forces. They played a key role both in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, we have a decrease in eligibility due to um, obesity, criminal records, and lack of education. 
And I wanted to, this time I want to talk about enlistments, the reason for the decline in enlistments. Uh, I think there's a growing disconnect from society caused by the pandemic. Uh, the fear of being injured or the death of, or death or even developing PTSD. Uh, PT, PTSD can last many years. It can last a lifetime. And it's a fear of P, uh, people getting fear, uh, PTSD while in the Army. Um, the pool of people who meet the basic standards to enlisting is shrinking. Now, now this is really amazing. Only about 23% of young people from the ages, I think, from 17, I think it was 24 years of age, are good to join without granting a waiver. And that's really amazing because of the obesity, drug use, and criminal records. Uh, but think about it. 23% people are good without having a waiver. That's, that's, that's amazing. Uh, during World War II, uh, recruit, recruitments were high. Why? Because America, uh, the Americans wanted to save America and uh, get rid of uh, Adolf Hitler. I think the younger generation has different values than, than in the past. Uh, past generations were more likely to serve as honorable and respectable. Nowadays, it's more of a means to an end, I think. It helps you achieve what you want, although it may not be enjoyable or um, important itself. Uh, another thing is don't ask, don't ask, don't ask, don't tell policies. Uh, use of drones is a major impact of war strategy. Um, being pushed to the edge. Drill sergeants push new recruits to their breaking points on the theory that a more demanding training produces stronger soldiers. And I, I believe that. I'm old school. Today, the uh, Department of Defense has made adjustments to ensure soldier safety. Um, I understand that one military base, and I'm not going to mention the military base, has what they call invasive training stress cards. If a person is being stressed out by a drill sergeant, that uh, basic training will raise the stress cards, and then the drill sergeant has to ease off on him a little. Well, what are you going to do? during time of war, put up your stress card and say, let's stop the war. I don't believe that, and I don't believe no stress cards, but there is one military installation that does this, but I don't know if they do it anymore. And I don't believe in it. I'm the old school. I believe, I believe in tough training. Um, the new Army PT test. I remember when I was in the military, I did uh, push-ups, sit-ups, and two-mile runs for years. Now that's changed. Now they do the deadlift, the power throw, the sprint, drag and carry, and the two-mile run. And a major milestone, I think, in the military is females in combat. I think it was about six or seven years ago when um, Secretary, I think it was Carter, said that uh, the Pentagon would open all combat jobs to women. And uh, now we have women in combat roles. Um, I remember... I had two females when I was a battalion commander. One was an operations officer. One was my uh, company commander. They did an excellent job, excellent. And I, I praise them for their work. And they did a job just as good as any man could do it. Uh, look at the uh, Secretary of the Army now. She's a female. Uh, Secretary, uh, excuse me if I found the name wrong. I think it's Walmart. Uh, mm -hmm. Female officer. I mean, female Secretary of the Army. 
and look at um, uh, Secretary of Defense, Secretary Austin, the first Afro-American. Uh, and it's changed a lot, and, and it's going to keep changing. Uh, but that was just some of my thoughts on how the Army has changed from then to now. Well, very good. After a 39-year career, Brigadier General Frank Sapola retired, should know what's going on. Uh, if you're listening in uh, Chittawaga, Montreal, Manhattan, drop us a note. We'd like to hear from you. Please write to Brian Rusk, Bet 1520, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. We always read cards and letters from our Canadian and European listeners. A plug here, Western New Yorkers love their traditions, and the Ampol Legal Newspaper has been writing about Polish-American traditions and events for over 50 years. News and features from a Polish-American perspective can be found in this weekly newspaper, as well as recipes and a calendar of events. Don't miss out on the next cultural presentation or polka dance by reading the Ampol Legal. The Ampol Legal is available in many Tops and Wegman stores. For home delivery, call 716-835-9454. That's 716-835-9454 to have the latest news from Poland and Polonia in your mailbox each week. I'd like to thank those who called regarding our recent guest, former Erie County Republican Chairman Robert Davis, and the current Erie County Republican Chairman Mike Crocker. Also, we had a very good program with good response with Steve Cotton, Chairman of the Board of the Challenger Learning Center in Lockport, New York. A little bit more information about Brigadier General Frank Sapola, retired. In the course of his military career, General Sapola has held numerous staff positions to include battalion and brigade adjutant, battalion executive officer, battalion and brigade operations officer, and division schools officer. Brigadier General Sapola was an instructor, writer for the United States Army Engineer School at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. He was also aide-de-camp to the 98th Division Commanding General. And I like the word aide-de-camp because when we had General Westmoreland in Buffalo 15 years ago, he said to me that if I'm ever called back in the military, that I, Brian Rusk, would be his aide-de-camp. So I like that term. That let, would be a compliment. Bro. Oh, he was a great man, but he said to me, how could I fight a war with one arm tied behind my back? He Exactly. He right. respected yeah. Johnson, but he completely disagreed with the way they fought the war, completely. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about the <laughs> role of the 98th Division in Iraq. Uh, you were involved. Uh, you know, a lot of controversy with the Iraqi war, uh, with the weapons of mass destruction, but we won the war, unlike Vietnam. And let's talk about uh, your involvement with the 98th Division in Iraq, General Sapola. Okay, thank you, Brian. Um, back in, back in uh, May of 2004, I was called to report to the Pentagon. Um, I attended meetings discussing developing ASTs, which stood for Advisory Support Teams, which would be the 98th Division that would develop, train, equip the new Iraqi Army or the Iraqi Security Forces. Iraqi Security Forces and the Iraqi Army are the same thing. But it was a meeting that we, the 98th Division, would be ASTs, like I said, advisory support teams, to train and support the Iraqi army. Well, while I was there, I was thinking, this is a job for special forces. 
who are trained to train foreign armies. So there was a general next to me, and I said to myself, sir, we're talking about, you know, training foreign armies. I said, that's a job for special forces. And he says to me, what's your point? And I didn't say anything after that, so I started listening again. And uh, not all you, and we were, we were a training division, and which trained basic trainees and basic training. We had no experience in training foreign armies. Well, it was decided that a portion of our training division would help develop and train the Iraqi army. Uh, something that was never done, this has never been done before, and this is what's going to be made history. It was never done before by a training division that trained basic trainees in uh, basic training. Well, three days later, myself and two of my subordinates were on our way to Iraq. Uh, when we arrived in Iraq, we met with General Petraeus and explained to us what he wanted. So approximately two months later, the main body of the Nazi division came over to Iraq, and we set up three divisions. And by divisions, um, they weren't really divisions, they were more like companies. A division could have over a 1,000 people, but these three divisions maybe only had maybe 100 Iraqis in each division. Uh, each division was commanded by 98th Division Colonel, and then under him were officers and enlisted to help develop and train the Iraqi army. Uh, we also set up uh, NCO officer academies at the Kukush training base in Iraq to train NCOs and officers in certain subjects. Now, one of the problems we had in training the Iraqi army was the language barrier. Uh, not being able to speak their language and the Iraqi army not understanding English it was a big problem. Uh, we had to depend on Iraqi individuals uh, like interpreters and believe me, the interpreters were a precious commodity who were bilingual to communicate. Uh, and the problem we had, we had a little problem there because we would explain to the interpreter and the interpreter would explain to the Iraqi soldier. And at times, they didn't really explain it the way we wanted it to. So that was a problem. Um, another problem we had training the Iraqi soldiers was accountability of soldiers. Here in the United States, when an individual goes to join the Army, uh, the recruiter can just punch in his name and everything comes up, his criminal record or whatever it may be, his weight or whatever he did uh, while, while he was a child and while he was a grown-up. But in Iraq, that wasn't the situation. In Iraq, we didn't know anything about the individual joining the uh, Iraqi Army. They could have been terrorists. We didn't know that. And sometimes we did find out uh, by another Iraqi soldier saying to us, that guy uh, is not uh, on our side, he's on the other side. So that's the only way, reason we would know he was uh, uh, not a good person. So that was a problem. We didn't know their background. They didn't have any kind of background like we did in, in the United States. And sometimes during the conflicts, some Iraqi soldiers would just um, run and never return, they would desert. So that was a few of the problems we had. It was a tough situation, but we managed. We were there for a year, and then another U.S. training division came in, and, we, and they continued the mission. Very good. Uh, tremendous uh, career with Brigadier General, retired Frank A. Cipolla of Wilson, New York. If you're listening in Wilson, 
uh, Toronto or northern Florida, drop us a note. Please write to Brian Rusk, the Bet 1520, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. Always read cards and letters from our Canadian and European uh, listeners. A little bit more information about Brigadier General Retired Frank A. Sapola. Brigadier General Sapola has commanded units at all levels. His first assignment as a company commander was to Company C, 1st Battalion, 2nd Brigade, 98th Division. He later served as a battalion commander for the 1st Battalion, 2nd Brigade, 98th Division. In 2003, he was selected as a brigade commander for the 2nd Brigade, 98th Division. He also served as the assistant division commander support for the 98th Division in Rochester, New York. A great patriot and leader in the military, Brigadier General Retired Frank A. Sapola. We have a real problem with immigration. Brigadier General Sapola, it's estimated in the last two years, six million illegal migrants have come to this country. My parents came through Ellis Island in New York legally, and uh, now we have problems. There was a uh, an attack on a, by a Venezuelan on a child in uh, Chictawaga. There were three Guatemalans arrested in Amherst with burglary. Um, your feelings about this immigration crisis, Brigadier General Retired Frank Sapola. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. I think the number one concern here about immigration is protecting the U.S.-Mexico border. I remember seeing when I was uh, visited the Statue of Liberty, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. I mean, I'm all for immigration. Uh, but we have to do it in the process that protects the American people. Proper screening in directing terrorists. We need proper screening in detecting terrorists or criminals. That's very important. Uh, in my opinion, I remember, uh, I think it was um, U.S. Title 42. Uh, it allowed the authorities of uh, U.S. officials to turn away immigrants who came into the United States and the Mexican border on the grounds of preventing COVID ID. Mm-hmm. Uh, it protected the public health, and there was, uh, and, but now I think there is no longer Title 42. Now the, there was a new act, and if I remember correctly, the new act is um, Securing the Border Act. I think that's the name, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Which states the nation, that the nation is safer by securing the border and combating illegal immigration. One thing I like about the act is that uh, it deals with human trafficking. The, uh, the act is strengthening the current law to protect unoccupied children from human trafficking. Um, human trafficking is deplorable and it must be stopped in the United States. Immigration, to me, immigration is similar to TSA at airports. You come in, if there's a problem, they'll check you out. If you're not good, you're not going to board that plane, they're going to send you back. So um, that's similar to TSA. Unfortunately, like you said, this this week a girl from Mary was killed by an illegal immigrant. Mm -hmm. I know our own citizens citizens kill people, but this little girl could have lived if it wasn't for this little illegal immigrant. One more little girl dying is one too many. 
Um, like, I, like I said, I believe in immigration, but I believe we should do it legally. People must be screened. I think that's very important. Screen if they're criminals, if they're terrorists, or whatever it may be, if something's not right, I'm sorry, send them back. Uh, that my, to my pers- that's my personal opinion. Like I said, I believe in it, but we must, the uh, immigrants must be properly screened and processed. Thank you on that one. No, very well said. Common sense uh, plus the health care risks. We've had cases of tuberculosis and polio coming in because we don't vet exactly. these people's health records in any way. They just let them in, and now we have new strains of diseases uh, in this country. Uh, we have a couple minutes left on the Rusk Report, and like talk about fr- foreign threats with Brigadier General Retired Frank Sapola, such as North Korea, Russia, China. How serious are these, Brigadier General Retired Frank Sapola? Okay. Brian, I'm going to put these in order. Um, Please. From the worst to the uh, to, to least, well, not the least worst. The worst, uh, I'd say, is China. In second place, Russia. And I think tied for third is Iran and North Korea. And I'll talk about China. I think China is the um, biggest threat because the, the biggest long-term threat to our national security. Uh, they want to become the world's economic and technology technological leader. Um, their economic espionage, and by that I mean China's ability to, uh, to obtain critical technologies is one example. Their data hacking, their bribery and blackmail, and all are used to undermine our demo- democratic values. There are U.S. military threats, and to be honest with you, I don't trust their leader, Xi Jinping. Anything that comes out of his mouth, I do not believe. On Russia, I think their efforts to undermine U.S. influences and also the military threats, uh, the sovereignty and independence of Ukraine when they invaded Ukraine, um, they're always developing new nuclear capabilities. Uh, continue to use, they continue to use cyber attacks uh, to target uh, U.S. infrastructure, and I, th- I think the biggest threat uh, we get from Russia, they're always trying to get into infrastructure. A lot of people are asked, what do you think the biggest threat is that would happen to United terrorist uh, a threat? And a lot of people would say a nuclear bomb. Granted, a nuclear bomb, depending on it, what, uh, what weight it is, what megaton it is, it could have damages, could damage from 10 to 20 mile radius. And it has second, third order effects with the radiation and everything. But my concern is the biggest threat I would is the Russians or the Chinese or anyone got into a, our infrastructure, our national grid. Think about it, especially in the wintertime. If they got into a national grid, um, what would happen? No power, uh, no power to houses, uh, especially in the wintertime. Uh, trucks can't get gas. They can't transport. Trucks can't transport food or anything. It would be a shutdown of the whole United States. Yeah, I'm sorry, General. We have to bring the, uh, into the program to a close. We've run out of time. Again, we thank uh, Tony Cipolla for recommending Brigadier General Retired Frank Cipolla, brilliant, gifted patriot. Special thanks to Kevin Carr, our Director of Production. Thank you for enlightening us. Brigadier General Retired Frank A. Cipolla. 
Have a great week. You've been listening to The Rusk Report, a program that takes an inside look at the Western New York community with news, features, and special guests. If you have any comments or suggestions, please write to Brian Rusk, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Amherst, New York, 14226. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. 